what this pandemic and then the Suez Canal and the winter storm has taught us is we need to not be so reactive. And how can we use data to get insights on proactive behavior? The Energy and Transition podcast is the first of its kind, exploring the critical role of oil and gas in energy transition. Energy transition is not transition away from hydrocarbons. It's a collaborative effort towards a lower carbon future. And these are the stories of the companies and people that are actively reducing emissions and actually getting us there. Leaders from all sectors will discuss industry trends and topics like emerging technologies, global energy demand, access to capital markets, ESG, and workforce innovation. The Energy Workforce and Technology Council is the global trade association for the energy services and technology sector and a proud sponsor of the Energy and Transition podcast. Representing more than 600 member companies and 600,000 jobs in the U.S., the council is transforming energy by providing members with tools, information, and representation to boldly enable a low-carbon energy future safely, profitably, and sustainably. Through education, best practices sharing, supporting innovation and advocacy, we are driving a smart energy transition and empowering the energy workforce of the future. Good afternoon and welcome to the Energy and Transition podcast. This is your host, Leslie Beyer. We're recording today in the Fletcher Azul Tequila Studio in lovely, beautiful Houston. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, the Energy Workforce and Technology Council, Galtway Marketing, and Lockton Global Energy and Marine. We're so excited and have a really interesting guest today in Tim Neal. He's the co-founder and CEO at GoExpedi, which he founded four years ago. He spent several years in the oil and gas manufacturing and distribution sector in Asia, and he has his bachelor's in business administration in Mandarin Chinese from the University of Oregon, which you have such a unique background. I'm so looking forward to visiting with you today, Tim. So welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. Of course. So um, the GoExpedi model, it's so unique. Um, tell us just a little bit about your background, what led you maybe even to found Rockhopper, which I understand was part of the original company maybe, or and, and then how you founded GoExpedi. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've been in the energy sector for several years now before starting GoExpedi and really noticed from there, you know, the industry, while mature, was used to a certain way of doing business. I was very brick and mortar oriented. It was, I place a phone call, I send an email and I get the parts that I need. And, you know, I come from before that, from this sports marketing world and kind of the Wall Street sector and have had a bunch of different careers, but a lot of it was understanding what's been done in other sectors. And as a consumer and needing parts, how do I get that more efficiently? So when we started GoXpedi, the real mission was how do we make it more efficient for people to get the parts that they need? So that was really the problem that we were trying to solve through technology. And so after starting the company, um, Rockhopper became a subsidiary, um, which is kind of a private label business that we do to help people get further efficiencies as well. So. That's, it's interesting when you say getting away from bricks and mortar, right? Because you had already, y'all were started with this model before the pandemic situation where everything has become virtual and digital. So how did that change the business at all? Yeah, I would say the pandemic, it helped realign the market to understanding that things don't need to be as brick and mortar, that, you know, a lot of big companies, they are still working from home today. And so the key for them is, 
while I'm not in the office talking to people and I can't just go and meet somebody at a bar and, you know, transact that way, how do I keep my efficiency and if not gain efficiency? And so that really played into our value proposition of we have an online procurement platform and then all the analytics and dashboards at their disposal that regardless of where they are, they know exactly what they're getting, when they're getting it and how to get it. And so, you know, the behind the scenes, it's, it's kind of like Amazon. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It comes in two days, right? And that's really the thesis of what we do is getting them parts fast when they need it with full transparency. That's so interesting. And, you know, you mentioned how that drives efficiency, obviously, and that is the most important thing that really is happening right now in our sector is everyone in the supply chain is so focused on efficiencies. And I mean, obviously, with an Amazon type model, how could you not gain efficiencies that way? So can you kind of explain a little bit about how that works? I mean, what solutions does the Mm -hmm. company provide as far as procurement and supply chain? Yep. So I'll, I'll go through kind of how an order is transacted. And then I guess the tail end of that leads to increased efficiencies. So if I'm a customer, I have, you know, we work with supply chain teams to find catalogs. We sell anything from, you know, pipe dope to hydraulic hoses to engine parts, kind of that A to Z offering of goods. We work with thousand manufacturers and work directly with OEMs. And so if I'm an end user in the field, I can go on a platform for my company. I have my own login. I can place the parts that I need. If it needs escalation, it will automatically do that to supervisors or whoever it may be. But that's kind of the end of their story there. They press submit um, and then they get the parts that they need. But what we also wanted to solve and a big problem that kind of emerges in the market with traditional buying is the lack of transparency and understanding your costs. So we built a management control center that is basically a custom hierarchy for different end users. So if I'm an area manager, I can see my four assets. If I'm a supply chain director, I can see my entire division, but you have live analytics. So you can understand trends and real-time data on how much am I spending on Tide detergent or 16-inch valves in real time and find anomalies and realize that cost savings. And so it's really putting what was opaque in real time and making sure they get the parts you know, in two days that they expect But then from there, because they understand the data, we're able to put in our AI and machine learning so that we can predict when they need it again. So there's no longer as much of a risk of, hey, my asset's going down because I don't have these parts. We can kind of start to forecast when things will fail. And so take what was reactive and make it proactive. That whole digitalization piece and the AI and the the machine learning is such an important part of where the industry is going. And, you know, not just your company, but can you talk about it even in a broader scale? I mean, these applications, I feel like every company I talk to in the space is trying to apply this, Mm -hmm. you know, approach at some level. So where where do you see this going? Yeah, I think it's a massive thing. And it's kind of like once you have a smartphone, you never want a flip phone anymore. Um, and so once people have data at their disposal and can leverage the machine learning capabilities, it only gets better, just like how your iPhone gets more features each time. And so for us and for the industry, the question is first, where do I start and when do I start? Now we're seeing, especially with COVID and this work from home, people are wanting to go digital. That leads to their data being on platforms and being able to do the trend analysis on that. So what I see happening in the industry and especially from big companies is they're trying to move all their spend to digitally enabled solutions 
because then they can understand the data and realize their business more in real time rather than reacting to what they find out they spent a month later. And so it's all about how do we make decisions in real time? And so I really think it's a trend that's going to evolve, if anything, through time. And that's why this transparency is so important is so they can have that data and use it um, to drive those efficiencies. Exactly. It helps them, you know, from a bottom line perspective, they can realize where overspend was very quickly. But at the same time, they're able to forecast more accurately and have less people in each order. You know, if it's an engineered product, all the data is there that you don't need to re-engineer it every single time. You can look at your historical data and find out what it was that you bought, regardless of if people move in or out. Um, there's a continuity there. Right. So we're talking really about supply chain and, and a unique way to approach supply chain logistics. Had some huge supply chain disruptions, obviously, um, recently with the winter storms, even like the Suez Canal situation. Um, how can energy companies better improve their supply chains to avoid these future disruptions? I mean, is it all focusing on digital? Is it a combination of making sure your procurement people understand how to use that data? What is it? This episode of the Energy and Transition podcast is sponsored by Milestone Environmental Services, whose commitment to environmental stewardship and protecting customers, employees, regulators, and neighboring communities make it a leader in the transition to a cleaner energy future. Milestone provides innovative, dependable solutions for non-hazardous waste disposal, which helps their EMP partners improve efficiency and environmental performance in the production of oil and gas. Milestone builds strong customer relationships with a deliberate, proven approach that industry trusts to keep the environment safe. Known for its passion for customer service, Milestone strives to exceed expectations in all they do. Far ahead, always nearby, that's Milestone. I think it's, you know, a lot of the industry historically, if we talk MRO, so anything that wears out, runs out, or breaks, is somewhat reactive in that. I don't have it kind of like buying toilet paper at home. You don't have toilet paper, so you buy more toilet paper, right? And you just look at your cupboard and see when you don't have it. I think what this pandemic and then the Suez Canal and the winter storm has taught us is we need to not be so reactive. And how can we use data to get insights on proactive behavior? So if we see that, you know, I'm buying a certain level of gloves or toilet paper, whatever it may be, how do I find that that sweet spot of protection. Um, and so a lot of that is enabled through data, but it's also that mindset shift of, I know these type of things have risk and I can't jeopardize my assets because I need valves or whatever it may be. So as companies, okay, for example, there's a company that ha is just really doing all of their supply chain sourcing, you know, not in this digital way. Like how would a company even begin to start to, to figure out um, how they can digitalize that? And then how could, you know, maybe you can explain how that works. Like, is that a service provider that would use you? And then how can that service provider then explain to their customer, the operator, look at these efficiencies I'm drawing down right here from distribution? Yeah, so for the first question, you know, it's about in in the traditional sense, you know, you've got PDF orders, invoices, things like that. How do you aggregate that in one centralized database? And so it might be the answer short term if they want historical is you need to put the blood, sweat and tears in and put that in 
some sort of database. That sounds very but, painful. <laughs> exactly, that we're, that's very painful. I know what that is like. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but the key is, you know, setting up the where, data warehouses and the databases so that you can automatically feed in. Like if somebody transacts on ours, it's all real time because it flows through our database. So every single transaction is monitored. And so we can slice the baby however we want, right? Because we have all that data in one centralized place. So I think that's the big struggle is taking that leap to want to centralize it. For us, you know, we've got two benefits to the end user. We typically work with anything from, you know, drilling contractors to refineries to midstream operators to, you know, emerging renewable companies. And so they're able to see their asset spend in real time and that, that daily expenditure. But also on the other side, on the supply side, you know, as opposed to kind of opaque distribution models that I'm a distributor and I just place a stocking order, we have the analytics that help them with their manufacturing strategy because we know what's coming in and what the demand is down to, you know, Pecos, Texas versus Midland, Texas, that we can help them and say, if I'm, you know, a valve manufacturer, these are the type of valves in this market and helps them with their strategy. So data really just empowers the whole market to operate more efficiently. Absolutely. And it's empowering the whole industry to operate more efficiently. You know, we see that so much. You mentioned, um, you know, how you're working with companies across energies. You know, what are your thoughts on a transition to energy companies instead of siloed renewables versus oil and gas? You know, obviously the products that you're distributing, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot is that the upstream oil and gas supply chain looks a lot like the renewable supply chain. as far as infrastructure and equipment and certainly workforce and scale. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think it's a a huge initiative that's happening and um, is a really important thing for the world as a whole. And um, so you see, you know, the big companies like BP and others making energy transitions and kind of diversifying the allocation there. And so I, you know, to your point, there is a lot of similarity. So workforces can be trained, you know, in different skill sets, the product mix is not dissimilar, the geographies as well. And so I, I think, you know, it's something that we see a big spike in that kind of demand of late because this kind of renewed push to go to renewables. Um, and so, um, yeah, our main focus is just being able to serve that and help the, the market as it evolves. But I think, you know, even down to smaller companies, they're thinking, how do we approach this market differently? And how do we diversify away and, and transition, really? They are. And and I think a lot of companies are internally trying to figure out how do we market ourselves to the broader mosaic of energies, yeah. um, as opposed to just, you know, traditional oil and gas, which we all know will be around for a very long time. But we're already set up to support so many of, you know, the other opportunities, whether they're in geothermal or hydrogen, um, wind or solar. So I, I just I see that as such an extraordinary opportunity for us and and for the companies that are that are traditionally um, involved in in oil and gas production and distribution. Um, so you know we talked about big changes in the industry that you're a part of, digitalization, Internet of Things, big data, automation. All I mean, you see so much um, coming out right now, and and like we said, this is such an important part of the energy transition. What do you see moving? forward in the future? What is it, you know, are we going to get all the way to automation and robots on a ton of our stuff? How, how do you see this all progressing? Yeah. So I, 
think it's a couple aspects. One is, you know, the ability to predict failure is going to be a asset management, things like that. It's going to be very important where we no longer are just guessing when a piston will go out. For example, we can look at different levels, whether it's mud conditions, vibrations, and start, start to predict things so that we can, or I guess we mitigate the risk of downtime in the sector. You don't need as much physical touch trying to figure out the whys. Why did something fail, right? We'll have the data at our disposal to understand that. I think the other side is, um, you know, where we can help as well with technology is you take what we're really engineer intensive products and be able to make that more into a product that somebody, you know, you can put the guardrails through data in the back end. So if I'm trying to build a valve, for example, or some other capital intensive product, I can do it a smart way without having to spend weeks trying to engineer this because you can put the buffers in the background. And so kind of what they did for, you know, car industries and others where it's very complicated, but it's presented really simply. Um, I think the industry will evolve that way. So there's a lot less time involved in decision making and keeping assets running. Almost more like in a manufacturing type exactly. streamlined process. Yeah. That's interesting. So what are some of the exciting new things that you can tell us about that y'all are working on? I mean, you're obviously kind of leading um, in this space as far as digitalization. Um, you know, you consider yourselves as supplying the oil field. I see so many companies putting a lot of time and effort, like I said, into this. So what's something cool and exciting that's coming out? Yeah, so for us, um, you know, the big thing is enhancing our management control centers. We just launched document repositories and workflow. And we're really trying to just automate the whole workflow. Um, but kind of as I alluded to, we're coming out with some really cool technology that ties into preventive maintenance and asset management around capital intensive products. And how do we, you know, help somebody configure and order a product, but then on the tail end, understand when do they need to maintain it? When do they need to replenish it? And so we're really excited about that. And you know, the technology that we're coming out with now is applicable to anything from an upstream to a midstream to a downstream company as well mm -hmm. as renewable. So um, there's a really broad application base that benefits supply chain teams everywhere. And strong opportunities across all of those. I mean, for sure. Mm -hmm. You're not pigeonholed um, into any, you know, specific part of the sector. So do you feel like um, as an industry, we get any credit for this? I mean, I see our industry moving forward and creating these efficiencies and embracing technology and digitalization. Mm -hmm. What can we do to, to maybe highlight what we're doing in our industry and, and showing how much more efficient we're becoming? Because this also ultimately lowers our environment environmental footprint yeah. too, all these efficiencies. Yeah, I think it's just um, because there isn't a lot of credit given, but there are for those in the industry, they see the, the monumental moves that have been made. So I think it's just, you know, getting the choir together and um, taking United Front, like we've seen with the renewable push lately, there is, you know, optically, it's being seen kind of as those moves that are happening in hydrocarbons and others. Um, so a lot of it, it's just an awareness campaign, really, because there is so much good going on. And I think with the workforce today, there is a big push for efficiency, you know, and and you can really feel that in companies. It's no longer just a, a word that gets thrown out in a earnings call. It's something that's actionable today. And I think that's really important. 
I do too. I think it's probably the most actionable word as we see at least, you know, for the traditional sector that I work with, you know, starting to really become leaner um, in, in services and supply um, to oil and gas in, in this industry. Um, I think efficiencies are the name of the game definitely. and and something like this definitely adds to that. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about your background on the way in, but, you know, aside from speaking Chinese, which is amazing and having your degree in that, um, you were an international alpine ski racer. Yeah. What? So, <laughs> somehow uh, I live in Houston now, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does that, what was that like, that part of your background? I mean, I think people like you bring such a unique aspect to our industry because like you said, you worked in a number of other industries. You're bringing those best practices to energy, which is interesting. You know, you have kind of a unique perspective there, but this is just a cool part of your <laughs> background. Um, what, what was all that like? Yeah. So I grew up in New Jersey and um, started skiing. I think age two in the Poconos, so the hills of Pennsylvania, I'll call it. And um, I just got the itch for ski racing. So I ended up going to high school at a ski academy in California, lived on top of a mountain and then um, did the international circuit, did all the different events for ski racing. And basically, it's a great life as a high schooler because I would ski 200 days a year and my teachers would travel with us as we're doing the race circuit. So um, my kids would kill for that life. <laughs> it was definitely fun. And somehow and I'm in Houston now that I can only get 10 days a year in. But <laughs> I know for sure. I was we skied over Christmas in Montana um, and it was one degree one day and my Houston blood just almost froze up. I yeah, I don't miss it. wearing the speed suits and going down the hill on that in the That's one degree. Right. But <laughs> That's right. Tim, thank you so much for being here. I think this conversation around around digitalization in uh, the energy space is so critical right now and, and how, what we can do to drive efficiencies, especially in the supply chain. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. Of course. And we want to thank our sponsors, the Energy Workforce and Technology Council, Galtway Marketing, Locked in Global Energy Marine, and Fletcher Azul Tequila. And please go out and rate and subscribe on your favorite platform. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another great episode of the Energy and Transition podcast. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It's the best way to support the podcast and to grow our community. Also, if you want to reach out to us, please go to our website at energyandtransition.com and we'll catch you in the next episode.